Welcome to Theory Neutral, the podcast about stuff languages do. I'm Aiden. I'm Jacob. And I'm Logan, and today we're discussing Coordinating Constructions, an overview by Martin Haspelnath. Yeah, so we're going to start right away with, I think, one of the most essential parts of the paper, without which you probably wouldn't be able to understand a lot, which is the definition. It's pretty late in the paper, but I'm just going dis- like to read it out first. The term coordination refers to syntactic constructions in which two or more units of the same type are combined into a larger unit and still have the same semantic relations without the surrounding elements. So there's two parts of that. There is one part which refers to sem- semantic coordination and syntactic coordination. So the syntactic thing is just like speaking of constituents. If you have two constituents that are of the same syntactic category, then this will also determine the category of the whole construction and uh, where you have two parts of the coordinative constructions which are both equivalent in that sense that they are on the same level. They are not subordinate to each other. And there's also the semantic part, which uh, refers to having this meaning of coordination. Like, uh, for example, with conjunction, it would be Sasha and Masha, like in Russian, as we have there. Or there can also be disjunction, which refers to something like the wolf or the dog, uh, something like that. And there's also some something else with it, which is, um, what's it called again? The third type. Adversative? Adversative conjunction. Yeah, because Haspelmatt in his paper doesn't really talk about that a lot. Like, he primarily focuses on uh, conjunction. And then he also has a small, rather small section on disjunction. But he doesn't talk that much about adversative marking, which would be interesting, but he can't talk about, can't talk about everything, yeah. I guess. There, there's some other good papers about that, though. I came across one That's true. a while back that maybe we should do at some point about yeah. adversative and contrastive coordination, that sort of a thing. There's also something uh, really nice that I used for a, a typo, which is an activity I'm having on the r slash subreddit, where I post a typological paper every Saturday. I feel like you have posted the paper that I'm thinking of. I th- yeah, towards the semantic typology of adversative and contrast marking. I'm pretty sure I it's was that not, one. Was not, yeah, I wasn't talking about that one, to be honest. No. But that's a good one, too. Anti-circumstantial clauses, Ooh. which is a very fancy term. It's something a bit different. Um, here in the paper, it says, I came without having worked. So it's not really, like, it seems sometimes a bit converby. I think. But I was just reminded of that because it's got a similar fancy name. Like all things in linguistics have fancy names, but or mostly fancy names. There are some really awful names there. Like I remember some of the formal syntax stuff. Like I don't know how you pronounce that, but Pied Piping? Oh gosh, yes. Piping? Pied Piping. Yes. Pied Piping. And that's, <laughs> I mean, I'm not a fan of formal syntax, but I don't <laughs> like that term at all. I think the key part of the semantic definition here for coordination is that the two subunits each have the same relation to the rest of the sentence, regardless of what the relation between them is. 
So th that's how we can unify conjunction and disjunction and adversative coordination all into this one category of coordination. Like if two things are coordinated and one of them is a subject of a sentence, then the other one will also be a subject of the sentence. Or if one of them is the direct object, then the other one will also be a direct object. And the cool thing about splitting this into a syntactic and a semantic part of the definition is that different constructions don't always match both of them. So in Russian, if you want to conjoin pronominal subjects, you use a plural pronoun and then a commutative marking for whatever the second part of the conjunction is. So at the syntactic level, they're not identical types of constituents, but that's identified as a coordinating construction because it matches the semantic criteria. That's really interesting. Yeah, because like in general, you can, you can think of it as like coordination is a way to take two things and make them one of that same thing, basically. Like we have two noun phrases in this particular relationship, but like on a syntactic level, they behave together as if they are one noun phrase as far as the outside of that coordination box as far as that is concerned they're just a normal noun phrase it's just that if you look inside the box there's two noun phrases in here and so that's that's really interesting that you can get those kinds of mismatches sometimes because usually you just think of it as like we're putting two things in a box that is labeled as the same thing as either of them so moving on to the more the more what well, do languages actually do less side true. of things Exactly. Thank you for that. We have a threefold distinction, basically, uh, between how coordinative constructions can appear in languages generally, which is a di distinction between asyndetic, monosyndetic, and bisyndetic coordination, which we have is at the very beginning of the paper. There's, for example, asyndetic co coordination, which we can kind of derive from, you know, ancient Greek, A, which means not, and then Syndeton, I think, something like that means connecting. An asyndetic construction does not have some coordinator, like for example in English, and. So we have this example from Lavukaleve, which reads, which means my paddle and my small knife, and we don't have any word meaning something like and here. Yeah, it, it translates literally to my paddle, my small knife. And the fact that you put them next to each other just implies that they're coordinated. Okay, so um, then the monosyndetic coordination is what we know from English pretty well, which is just the hare and the leopard, which is uh, pretty straightforward. There's some example from Iraq here, but I'm not going to read that out because I don't know how to say that. All right, so then the last type of, those, of this distinction is the bisyndetic coordination, which is... Um, well, you just have two of them, basically. You have, for example, Upper Kuskowim um, Athabascan, where you have Dine ye i midzish i, which um, translates to moose and the caribou. And you have two times this i, which means with. So you have the first coordinate, conjunction, the second coordinate, conjunction again. Yeah, and so this starts to be even more clear, like the way this works when you get multiple coordination like you know more than just two things because obviously the prototypical case of coordination is x and y but you can have x and y and z or x and y and z and a etc etc for you know as far as your brain can hold information and there's a clear difference where if you have a monosyndetic system where it's x and y then however many coordinations you have you will have one less than that coordinators 
So X and Y and Z is how English does it. There's two ands, but there's three items. But if you have a bisyndetic thing, then it's just you have every time you have a thing that's coordinated, you get the marker on it. So X and Y and Z and, because you put an and after everything, because that's how bisyndetic coordination works. Getting back to monosyndetic coordination, it turns out that not only are there these three three basic different types, asyndetic, monosyndetic, bisyndetic, but if you just look at monosyndetic, interesting stuff goes on with where that single marker gets placed and how it's actually grouped into constituents. So like, if, if you put the coordinator in between the coordinated items, you would think that it doesn't obviously form a constituent with either of them. It's it's just joining two other constituents together. Um, but actually, it turns out there are some interesting tests you can do to prove, or at least to suggest, uh, in any particular language, that the coordinator really does attach first to one or the other of the coordinates, even when it's right in the middle. And we should probably talk a little bit more about that. But before we do, you can also get the case, which is rare, but it shows up in Latin, which is a super popular language that everybody has heard of, where you can get a single coordinator placed after both of the coordinates. And that shows up in the phrase SPQR, Sonatus Papilusque Romanus, where that the Q in SPQR is the que after... Populus. And so Senatus Populusque is the Senate and the people, but that and is outside at the end of, of the list instead of in the middle. And then logically you would think, well, if you can put it on one end, shouldn't you be able to put it on the other end? But apparently this fourth logically possible situation where you put the coordinator first and then list out all of your coordinates is just not attested. Nobody does that. <laughs> For some reason. Yeah, and I feel like there's a reason, and I feel like it sort of gets it like, what is conceptually going on when you're coordinating things? So, like, if you have the coordinator in the middle somehow, whether it's attached to the second or the first one, it's like it's it's sort of a dividing line that says, hey, you know, we finished the one constituent, we're starting the other constituent, you know this is a coordination thing, so you know what's going on. If you put it at the end, after everything, it's like, okay, you've got the first one, oh, and also we're adding the second one. But... If you put it at the beginning in front of both coordinates, it's like, hey, so before we even get into any of this coordination stuff, I'm telling you, we are going to be coordinating two things. And then you go on to list those things. And that's just kind of a, a weird way of doing things. It's not totally impossible because it's like, it's kind of analogous to like, I guess, verb initial structure for like your whole sentence. But it, it's just sort of, it's neither X... And then also Y, yes, I'm adding that, I forgot about it. Nor is it X division Y. It's sort of like this whole separate thing that seems like it's less of an intuitive thing to go for when you're trying to coordinate things. All three of the other options give you the ability to sort of add something in as like an afterthought. 
and add an additional coordinand when you weren't necessarily planning to start a coordination construction. But if you put the coordination at the beginning, you can't do that. You're locked into coordination. But on the other hand, that does happen with bisyndetic constructions. You you get bisyndetic hmm. constructions that start coordinator, coordinand, coordinator, coordinand. That is true. So Yeah, that's cool. Also, regarding the Latin case, reminds me of my own Latin classes in high school, which, and middle school, actually. That's not the single one mechanism to form coordinates, to form coordinative constructions in Latin, because Latin also has a very simple type A construction, which is so yes. you could mm -hmm. actually probably also say senatus et populus Romanus, which uh, is the mechanism we see in modern Romance languages. So maybe it has to be said that Latin is not exclusively of this type C, which would be even uh, stranger and even rarer, I think. It's also worth mentioning that Latin and Greek also have a number, at least Greek for sure, has a number of clause-level coordinators that have to go after whatever the first element in your clause happens to be. It doesn't matter what that is, it's just that your coordinator always goes second. And I think probably you could posit some sort of complex phonological explanation for this, where it's like, this is a clitic that has to attach to the right side of something, but there's nothing on its left to attach to the right side of, so we're going to kind of shove it over one. Is that basically a phenomenon of second position clitics, right? Yeah. Because I've seen them in Amazonian languages, like Tariana has a bunch of them. And the weird part about it is not so much that it's like a second position clitic. It's like, well, yeah, those are those that happen everywhere. They have a special name. But it's that it's a coordinator. Yeah. A coordinator that's a second position clitic. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of odd. And there's a really cool, there's a really cool example in the paper, an example 19, where there's this language, hakalai, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, where they've got this second position clitic for coordinating clauses, and in intransitive clauses, there isn't anything for it to attach to, so they duplicate the verb just to have an extra thing to attach the coordinator to, and that reminds me of a similar construction in Fanbe for subordination, where Fanbe uh, instead of having like a unique complementizer or subordinating conjunction or something to stick at the front of the clause, a copy of the verb shows up in that complementizer position to indicate that it's subordinate. And then here, got copying the verb again to indicate something about this is a non-standard clause structure. In this case, it's coordinate. Yeah, and it also feels like this could be almost a grammaticalization of something that happens all over Papua New Guinea in a discourse context. Oftentimes, you will say a sentence and then get to the last verb. And then you'll begin the next sentence in your story by repeating that last verb with like an and then. So it's like, I don't know, he went to the river and he got some water and he drank it. He drank it and then blah, blah, blah. And this feels like it's kind of like we've taken that and done it on a much smaller level. I want to back up now after talking about all these complicated clause level constructions. Because I, I mentioned there's some neat ways that you can distinguish with infix coordination how the constituency actually works out. So the first one is fairly obvious. Sometimes the coordinator is just really blatantly an affix or a clitic, and then you don't really have to do any thinking. But aside from that, you've got intonational phrasing. So just listen to how people actually break stuff up in speech. 
And like in English, we can tell that the coordinator is usually attached to the second item because if you're listing out a lot of stuff, then the intonation breaks fall before the coordinator. So I might say things like, oh, I need to go shopping and I need to get bread and milk and eggs. But it doesn't have to be that way. Like you... You could put the pauses the other way around, and then that would indicate different constituency. But then the the last way that the paper describes to figure this out is something that totally blew my mind because it's totally something that I know how to do in my native language, and I never before thought about the fact that I do it. <laughs> um, and that is extraposition, where sometimes you can take a chunk of a coordinated noun phrase and split apart the two things that are coordinated and just like shove one of them way off at the other end of the sentence as a real afterthought. And if the coordinator goes along with the thing that you moved, then clearly it was attached to it. So, you know, I might say something like, I talked to my sister on the phone, oh, and my mom. And my sister and my mom are a coordinated phrase, but they're a discontinuous coordinated phrase. And you can tell that the and attaches to the second part because it moved with it. Yeah, which if you compare doing exactly the same thing in Japanese, you have a, con a conjunction in the same place, but it attaches to the left side instead of the right side. You have to, like, if you're, if you're giving that sort of afterthought extra coordinator, then you have to give, like, that and some other thing that you are now adding. Like, you can't just say, and the other thing. You have to say that and. You have to have some sort of noun or some sort of constituent there to hang your conjunction off of before you can add the second half that you forgot to add the last time. So afterthoughts are a little harder in Japanese. Yes. Okay, so moving on to the next section, here's another thing that I knew about, but I didn't know was as common as it apparently is. I studied Armenian briefly for a semester in college and was introduced to the idea in Armenian that you might have to remember different types of coordinators for different types of things that you want to coordinate. So there's one version of an that you use to connect clauses together and a totally different word that you use to connect nouns together. And I just thought that was so amazing and exotic and weird. <laughs> Apparently, according to Haskell math, that happens in about half of the world's languages. And sometimes it's easier to remember than others. I think in the case of Armenian, all of them are particles. It's just you have to pick the yes. right particle for the situation you're in. You compare that to something like Japanese, where your verb and clause coordinators are verb affixes. So there's absolutely no way you could ever use these things to coordinate noun phrases unless there was some construction involving adding a verb to the noun phrase, which actually you can do in very unusual circumstances. But they're fundamentally verb-associated. You can't do anything about that, so it's a lot easier to remember. But it's also sort of a more tangible difference, and it's like, oh, well, that's why you have such different coordinators for noun phrases versus verbs and clauses, because your verb and clause coordinators are verb morphology. There's a neat hierarchy in here for what kinds of things might be grouped together with the same kind of coordination. And basically, you've got a list of noun phrases, verb 
phrases, clauses, and then adjectives and adverbs might get stuck in there as well. But things that are adjacent in this list, which, like, the order of the list makes sense because it goes up in levels of structure, like noun phrases are inside of verb phrases, verb phrases are inside of clauses, so that the things that are next to each other in structure can get grouped together. So, like, you, you can just be, like, English and have one coordinator for everything. You can have a common coordinator. English in both these tables is an example of just one coordinator. That's just it. Yeah. There's just no difference. Yeah ever anywhere in English. Yeah. You can have verbs and clauses grouped together. You can have noun phrases and verb phrases grouped together. And then clauses are different. You can just do everything differently. But it seems weird to me, even though it makes sense on the, on the syntactic structural level, why this hierarchy appears, it just seems weird to me that there aren't any languages, or at least no languages that Math knew about when writing this paper, that use the same coordinator for noun phrases and clauses. And I really want to see some data specifically on complement clauses. Like in Somali, for example, which is listed as one of these languages that has three different coordinators, all for noun phrases, verb phrases, and clauses, I wish that I had some information on what it looks like if you coordinate like object complement clauses in Somali, as opposed to, like, two matrix clauses. Yeah, that is actually really interesting, yeah, because on some level, it makes sense that verbs and clauses are just, like, fundamentally grouped together, because there's not a whole lot of a difference between coordinating two clauses and coordinating two verb phrases that just, like, share an argument. They're almost the same thing. But, yeah, absolutely, when you get to when you get to complement clauses, I mean, it may just be, like, the complement clause counts as a noun, and so we're going to use the noun thing, because syntactically it's a noun, but... But it's also a clause. Yeah. So, yeah, it could go either way. Yeah, it might be interesting to see it like as a, as a different dimension in this kind of diagram. Where does the complement clause align, basically? But also what I thought when you when you talked about data, I had the funny thought of creating a conlang specifically with that feature that NP and clause are merged <laughs> right. and VP is separate, which is not attested in this pattern right here. It would be an idea you could implement in a conlang just to violate uh, typological tendencies. Also, I'm going to quickly talk about the semantic maps at the very end. I really like VR Indonesian because I knew it was funky. It should, it, I saw it and I was like, okay, this is going to be funky because it's, after all, it's VR Indonesian. So having the conjunction marker as a recipient marker is pretty cool, but also Hausa um, having the conjunction uh, as an existence marker is also pretty cool. I think we need to explain what a semantic map is. So the idea of a semantic map is that particular bits of grammar can often shift meanings in predictable ways. And so you end up with this network where something that meant something in the past shifted over to mean something else, and then that shifted over to mean something else, and then shifted over to mean something else again. And when these shifts happen, the meaning might just change completely, and the original functional get taken over by something else, or whatever bit of grammar you have might just keep expanding and now be multifunctional. And so a semantic map is basically a map of all of these connections between different functions that could be marked in the same way. And so if you get two things that are marked the same way and they aren't adjacent, 
adjacent to each other on the semantic map, or like they aren't connected through the semantic map, then that's really good evidence that either it's completely coincidental, like you've got some historical convergence and homophony going on, or whatever bit of grammar you're looking at started out meaning one thing, shifted around a bunch, and then something else arose later to displace something in the middle. But like most of the time, you should see connected groups of functions expressed by the same thing in these semantic maps. And there's debate to be had in every case about when you see something that covers a range of connected functions on a semantic map, is it actually polysemic? Does that bit of grammar actually mean multiple different things? Or is the fact that the map is contiguous evidence that it's not actually polysemous, it's just really super vague? Which is a good segue into what we'll be talking about in the next episode. Yeah, yeah. and this paper very specifically makes the point that sometimes you have situations where a marker just has multiple uses and they are multiple uses. And sure, they might be related, but you can clearly delimit them and you can say these are different things behaving differently. And then in other situations, you have markers that have a bunch of what you might think of as different uses, but there's not really a language internal justification for saying these are different. They map yeah. to different things in your language, maybe, but as far as the language you're looking at is concerned, they're all one thing that can be interpreted in a bunch of different ways in a bunch of different contexts, because it's just kind of vague and there's information that can be infilled there. Right. But like, that doesn't mean that they're different things. It's just, it's one very underspecified meaning, and it's one marker. For example, to stop talking about grammatical thing and start talking about actual things... <laughs> The conjunction and commutative show up together really frequently. For obvious reasons. Yeah, it's pretty obvious why that is. So like I said right at the beginning, if you're going to conjoin subject pronouns in Russian, one of them gets marked as a commutative, and that's just how it is. Commutative and instrumental are also really frequently merged together. So English does that. The preposition with can mean either one, and you just kind of have to figure it out. But because of that, if you put those into a semantic map, commutative is linked with conjunctive, commutative is also linked with instrumental, so you can form a group there where conjunctive commutative and instrumental are all marked the same and it turns out that yes that actually happens and then if if you look at the actual maps that are in this paper it gets a lot bigger than that so we've got commutative connected to instrumental which is connected to agents which is connected to manner commutative is also connected to existence and then conjunction is also connected to adverbs like also or even and so for any subset of this graph of different properties, there is some language which marks conjunctions the same. The same as marking existence, or the same as marking agents, or, you know, weird stuff like that. Uh, Aiden, you wanted to talk about switch reference. Ah, yes. So he mentions a couple of times switch reference in the context of coordination, because you can have different coordinators sometimes that tell you whether the subject of the next clause is going to be the same as the subject of the last clause. And sometimes I think they are really actually coordinators. Like the Fengbei example he has here is clearly like these are just separate coordinate particles. But sometimes I'm not entirely sure that switch reference things, because switch reference and like clause chaining go together an 
awful lot all over the world. And I am not convinced that clause chaining is really the same thing as coordination in the end. I'm also not convinced it's the same thing as subordination in the end. I'm pretty sure it's just kind of its own thing, either that or, like, I've heard the term co-subordination for, like, the exact or syntactic nature of the relationship, and I'm like, okay, maybe, but, like, it feels like it's its own kind of connection strategy. So I think it's just worth mentioning that, like, you can do switch reference sometimes in coordination situations, but usually I would say if you've got switch reference going on, probably what's going on is a clause chaining thing, and that's not really coordination in the same way. Yeah. Also, we could mention uh, non-canonical switch reference, which tracks any argument, not only a subject, which is even less coordination-like. I know that example from Pannon languages, yeah. And it basically looks like converbs, really. Yeah. And not really like class coordination or class chaining. So classifying switch reference as something else, basically, that doesn't fit in that twofold distinction is pretty accurate. All right. Good talk. This has been Theory Neutral. And in the next episode, we will be discussing how much grammar it takes to sail a boat. See y'all next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.